they've been married for 30 years. He's a pioneer of Catholic lay evangelization, and she has a master's degree in theology. Put on the coffee and get ready to open the scriptures. It's time for Bible with the Barbers. Now, here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Well, welcome. Here, I'll be right back. Um, <laughs> Bible with the Barbers here on this Tuesday. And we are in the week of Easter. We're still celebrating Easter. Every day this week, we celebrate Easter. And that's the octave. And that was the tradition that came from the Old Testament. When they had a major feast, they celebrated it not for one day, but for eight days. So that you could actually meditate on the meaning of it. And what is the meaning of this feast? What does it mean for my practical my life practically? So we have the gospel readings all through the week are the accounts of the resurrection. And you have accounts of the resurrection in all four gospels. Every gospel gives you an account. And we have today's reading is from the gospel of John. And it's John chapter 20, yep. verses 11 through 18. And Terry just brought me a photocopy I'm of it. A busy so guy. <laughs> he's been running around. We both forgot to bring our, our Roman missile in. So... <laughs> So what happened? Mary Magdalene stayed outside the tomb weeping. And as she wept, she bent over into the tomb and saw two angels in white sitting there, one at the head and one at the feet, where the body of Jesus had been. And, she, and they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, They have taken my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she said this, she turned around and saw Jesus there, but she did not know it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? She thought it was the gardener and said to him, Sir, if you carried him away, tell me where you laid him, and I will take him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Stop holding on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go and tell my brothers... Go to my brothers and tell them that I am going to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. And it's interesting here. Mary, Mary Magdalene standing outside the tomb weeping. The women went on the first day of the week to anoint the body of Jesus. They were not expecting Jesus to rise from the dead. They thought that there had been an anointing at the time of his burial, but it hadn't been the proper one because it had been in a rush because they were getting ready for the sacred the Sabbath and they, you know, they had to get the bodies buried before the Sabbath. And so she's there to anoint and she, she comes and the tomb is empty and it's like, well, wait a minute, what happened? And she thinks somebody stole the body and she's, she's confused. She's upset. She's, and it's interesting because nowadays so often, you know, you go into a Catholic church, the tabernacle is supposed to be in the center. It's supposed to be visible and prominent where everybody can see it, because that's our Lord present among us still in his risen, ascended, glorified state. As the apostles encountered him um, after his resurrection, but under the sacramental signs, he's present to us. And as he is present in heaven, he's present in the tabernacle. So the tabernacle, according to the church and to, to the Vatican II and what was supposed to happen after the council, is the tabernacle supposed to be in a prominent place, where everybody can see the tabernacle when they come in. And by the way, when you go into a church building, if you can't see the tabernacle, you are supposed to genuflect anyway. You're supposed to genuflect. The church says, acknowledge the presence of Jesus Christ present in the blessed sacrament 
He's here somewhere. You know, they've taken my Lord and I do not know where they put him. <laughs> so Bishop oftentimes, said, yeah. yeah, Bishop Sheen said that, you know, he's like, what are they doing? They're taking Jesus away. And, and Mary was weeping. So she's, she, and she sees Jesus. It's, she's weeping. And then, and then she says to the, you know, the young man, so why are you weeping? And she's, they've taken my Lord and I don't know where they laid him. And then she turns around, and sees Jesus and she doesn't recognize him. I mean, they knew Jesus intimately. You know, you, you ask, well, what is a reg-? and St. Paul that, you know, his, some of his, um, the people that he preached to said, well, what does a re- resurrected body look like anyway? And he said, that's a nonsensical question. If you looked at an acorn and you had never seen an oak tree, could you possibly imagine that that acorn would turn into an oak tree? No, you can't. So, you know, what is planted is ignoble, he says, and what rises is immortal, and we don't know. But we know that the apostles and Mary Magdalene, they didn't recognize Jesus after the resurrection until he revealed himself to them. One thing I mentioned about Mary Magdalene, her love for our Lord was so great because she knew what it was like without him. Yes, she did. Because she lived you know, a life yeah. where Jesus, what, seven or eight demons, you know, Seven demons. Seven, she had been, demons. seven demons had been cast so, out of her. So all I'm saying is yeah. she knew what right. it was like without Jesus. Right. And he had done so much for her. And oh, she is so extremely so grateful. Yeah, exactly. And, and she has this tremendous love for him. And yeah. she just wants to do this service for him to yeah. anoint his body. Exactly. And she doesn't recognize him. And she, what does she suppose? She supposes he is the gardener. Years ago, when I was in college, Father Fessio made a comment on this, and I've never forgotten it. What is it? He said, isn't that interesting? She supposed him to be the gardener, and isn't he the gardener? Of the soul. In the beginning, in the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, he planted a garden in Eden. Oh, yeah, there you go. Who is the gardener? God. He plants the garden. And yes, the gardener of souls. He, what does the gardener do? He takes out the weeds. He gives the nourishment to the plants. He gives them water. He gives them what they need to grow. And this is what our Lord does for us. He takes away the sins. He takes away even our, our faults and our failures that interfere with us clinging fully and completely to God. And then he nourishes our souls and he feeds them and he waters them. And of course, with his own precious blood. So in a sense, she was absolutely right. Yes, he was the gardener, not the gardener of that garden where he was buried necessarily, the physical garden, but yes, the gardener who was the gardener of all of creation. All things were made through him. All things were made for him. He is before all else that is, the scripture tells us about Jesus Christ, the son of God. That doesn't mean his human nature preexisted his moment of conception. His human nature was created at the moment of the Mary, the blessed mother saying yes to God's invitation for her to become his mother. But his divine nature preexisted the moment of his conception. He was God from all eternity with the Father and the Holy Spirit. And we don't know that God is a father until we know that he has a son. Mm. That's Jesus Christ revealed to us, the Trinity. We wouldn't know. We couldn't know the Trinity without faith. That God exists is not an article of faith. It does not take faith to believe that God exists. And Bishop Sheen said, atheism is not a philosophical supposition or um, way of thinking. As a matter of fact, atheism is a cry of wrath. It's a way of not thinking. It's a way of allowing my emotions to say, how can there be a good God in a world where there's so much evil? I'm hurting so much, there can't be a good God. Or I see so much evil around me, I'm going to reject the idea that there's a good God. And the difficulty here is we're not 
That's not thought. That's our feelings. We're allowing our feelings to rule us. And our feelings, our, our emotions, by the way, are part of the body. They're not part of our intellect and our will. They're not part of our soul. They're part of our body. So we need to learn to guide and direct our emotions with our intellect and will. And our intellect tells us it's reasonable to believe that God exists. Who he is in and of himself in his own inner Trinitarian life, no, we can't know that without faith. But you know what? Faith is a gift. If you want it, ask for it. Ask God to give you the gift of faith. And if you had it once and lost it, fine. Just go back to him and say, Lord, somehow I lost you along the way. Where are you? Please show yourself to me. Let me know who you are and how much you love me so that I can love you. You know, go to the Lord in humility, admit that you've lost your faith and ask him for the gift of faith. Is it a challenge? Yeah, because if we believe in God, we need to change our lives. It's kind of what Terry and Jesse were saying at the end of their show today, wasn't it? It's not just about saying, Lord, Lord. And remember that in the gospel, Jesus says, not all those who cry, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven but the one who does the will of my Father. Yeah, your faith without works is dead because we need, we are saved by grace through faith, working in love, the scripture says. Saved by grace, the grace of God saves us through a faith working in love. Our faith will bring about our willingness to serve, to, to serve the Lord our God by giving up our sins and giving him the proper worship and to serve our neighbor out of love for him. Jesus said, you know, at the, what was the last judgment? You know, the way you, whatever you did to the least of your brothers, you did to me. So Mary is there. She has supposed him to be the gardener, and she's correct. <laughs> Maybe not in the way she's supposed, but <laughs> she is. And he says to her, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? As if Jesus doesn't know, right? I mean, of course, he's got to always ask us, right? Because he just doesn't know what's going on. He's just clueless, right? No, that's not quite what's going on. And she, she says, sir, if you carried him away, tell me where you laid him, and I will take him. And then Jesus, Jesus reveals himself to her. Mary, he calls her by name. And this is what he does for each of us. He calls us by name. We are so precious and dear to him. And then she turns and she calls him Rabboni, teacher. And Jesus tells her, don't hold on to me, for I've not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and tell them. So he's sending her now to be a witness to the apostles that Jesus is risen. He is alive. He's not dead. And that he's going to his father and your father, to my God and your God. He says, I am going to my father and your father, to my God and your God. So he is one with us. He's our brother in the fact that he took on a human nature. But nonetheless, he still remains the eternal God who became man. And so there is always that distinction in terms of he is God and he can't not be God. So he, he doesn't deny himself. We need to recognize him. And so Mary goes and she announces to, I didn't turn the page, the end of it. Mary goes and she, to the, apostles, to the disciples and she announces, I have seen the Lord. And then she reported what he told her. So Mary became that first disciple because the Lord appears to her. Her love is so great that she's there. And then she goes to announce it. And this is, we should be living our faith such that we want other people to know. We should be filled with that joy in the Lord. And if we don't have it, ask for it. Ask the Lord to give us that joy. We're coming up on the first break here. So 
Uh, If you have a question, 888-526-2151. Thank you for joining us, and we'll be right back to finish off the Gospel of Mark here. This is Terry Barber inviting you, all the men, to a men's conference June 15th at the Sacred Heart Chapel. This is going to be a day where we're going to talk about true masculinity. You know, there's a problem in the Catholic Church today. We have very few men who love the Catholic faith. And I know a lot of the wives that I'm listening to right now are saying, I want my husband to be on fire for the faith. Send him to the men's conference. Your son, send him to the men's conference by going to virginmostpowerfulradio.org or call 877-526-2151. That's June 15th. When your husband comes back from this conference or your son, they're going to have a different view about their Catholic faith because they're going to meet three men who love Jesus and his bride, the church, and are going to instill in them a love for Christ and his church, the Eucharist, Our Lady. Bring them to virginmostpowerfulradio.org. Sign up there or call 877-526-2151. Full sheen ahead. It is only because of your continued prayers and generous donations that Virgin Most Powerful Radio can broadcast live each weekday. We count on your spiritual and financial support because you understand the urgent need for Catholic programming that shares the gospel with clarity and charity, but without compromise. Please prayerfully consider becoming a monthly donor. You can set it up with the touch of a button on our website, catholicrc.org. Buying or selling your home or your business property? This is Terry Barber. Real Estate for Life underwrites The Terry and Jesse Show. And they can connect you to one of 900 pro-life real estate agents around the world. And when they receive their referral fee, they will give 80% of it to a pro-life organization. Wow! That's 80%. Realestateforlife.org, 877-LIFE-US1. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Well, welcome back here and happy Easter to everyone. Yes, we're still celebrating Easter. This is Easter Tuesday. We celebrate for eight days the octave of Easter. And the Lord is risen. He is truly risen. Hallelujah. So we rejoice in the resurrection of the Lord. And by the resurrection of the Lord, we know that... Death is not the end of the story. Mm-hmm. And this is why the early Christians had such joy. They were looking to, for something beyond death. So we have the, the 16th chapter here of the Gospel of Mark, and I, the Lord really worked this one out well, you know. Perfect timing, huh? <laughs> Perfect timing. We get, for the Resurrection Week, we got to the, the account of the Resurrection in the Gospel of Mark. So the Sabbath was a day of rest. So we have Mary Magdalene going to the tomb, and she goes with the mother of James and Salome, and they bring spices, of course, to anoint the body of Jesus. And they're, they're talking on the way. They're like, well, you know, that was a big stone that was rolled in front of the tomb. Who are we going to get to remove it so that we can actually apply the spices? And I guess they maybe assume that maybe the Roman, you know, the guards that were set, that maybe they would help us and help us embalm the body in a better way or whatever. And um, 
they get there and the stone is already rolled back and they see these these uh, two young men dressed in white. Well, the two young men are angels. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because the Sabbath was, remember in the law of Moses, the Sabbath was the day of worship for the Jews. And, and what happens here? Why does the church say that we're supposed to worship on Sunday? Well, Jesus rose from the dead on Sunday. So Sunday has always been called from the earliest days of the church has been called the Lord's day. So this is the day the Lord rose from the dead. And St. Jerome commented, after the sorrow of the Sabbath, a joyful day breaks out. The day of great, greatest joy, St. Jerome says, lift lit up by the greatest light of all. For this day saw the triumph of the risen Christ. So that Sabbath was the last Sabbath that would be observed by the Christians, the Sabbath that happened after Good Friday. It was a very dark day because Jesus had died and they were not expecting a resurrection. The the early Christians weren't. The apostles weren't. Read the accounts of the resurrection. If anybody, they had to be convinced. They were really obstinate in their unbelief. And so the women go and they find Jesus risen from the dead. So St. Jerome says, this is the day, the joyful day breaks. And what is the joyful day? We know now that Jesus Christ, that everything that he said was absolutely true. He proves it by rising from the dead. And that also means that death is not the end of the story for us. There's something waiting for us beyond death. And so the church has always celebrated the first day of the week as the day especially consecrated to the Lord, a day of rest on which we are commanded to attend a holy mass. We're commanded to remember the Paschal mystery every Sunday to celebrate again Easter, the entire Paschal mystery of Christ in a particular way, because every Sunday is Easter. This was the way it's been since the beginning of the Christian church. And they recognize that the resurrection replaces the Sabbath of the old law because Christ is the new covenant, he establishes the new covenant in his blood. And so the new covenant is established in Christ and Christ rose from the dead on Sunday. So Sunday is the day of I would worship. recommend also, as I said earlier last week during Holy Week, about the fourth cup talk by Scott Hahn. So you really see the Jewish roots of the mass. Yeah. No, it's, it's important. It, it is important. We need to, I know someone asked us last week about the Seder and is it okay to celebrate the Seder? Yeah. It's a really, it's, it's a good thing for Christians to look at the Jewish Seder and yes, read it and understand it. Read the prayers that were said, the Psalms that were said. Okay. Jesus Christ really celebrated the Passover meal. Well, how can we understand what that was if we never look at it, if we never study it, if we never celebrate it? Now we're not, it's not as if we go back to the Old Testament and get locked into the Old Testament Passover. No, we recognize that Jesus is the fulfillment, that everything in the Old Pass- Old Testament Passover was pointing toward our Lord. A lamb was slain. His blood was put on the doorposts and the lintels. That blood would spare the people death. No child would die in the household that was marked by the blood of the lamb. So you see Easter as and I love it, the picture, Easter is not about the bunny. It's about the lamb. Amen. It's about the lamb who was slain, but he didn't stay dead. And so Christ is the lamb of the New Testament, but the, the New Testament lamb, the Passover lamb, the New Testament Passover. 
So he fulfills all of the old, but it's important. We don't reject the Old Testament because the New Testament is hidden there in the old. And without the old, we don't fully understand what was prophesied and what was coming. Why don't you explain the term typology? Typology means things in the Old Testament that point to realities beyond themselves. Mm-hmm. So the Passover lamb is a type of Christ exactly. because it points to Christ and his death that will save us from sin mm-hmm. and free us from slavery to sin. The slavery in Egypt was rep- represented, this, and that's also a type. The slavery in Egypt represented our slavery to sin, and it is the blood of the lamb that sets us free. So you have typologies, and even the, even the temple was a type of the body of Christ. And Jesus makes this explicit in John's gospel when he says, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up again. Only he doesn't point to himself. He says, destroy this temple. And it's not till after the resurrection and the Pentecost that the apostles understood that he's referring to his own body. So his body, the temple, was only a type of his body. His body is the new, how do you say that? The, the center of perfect worship. What is the perfect worship that we offer to the Father? What is the source and summit of the Christian life? The Eucharist. Because the Eucharist is Jesus Christ. And the, the, the Eucharist is the source and summit of our life because Christ is the source and summit of our life. All of our Christian life comes from Christ. All of it points to Christ. And all of the sacraments that Jesus established prepare us for the Eucharist and, and bring us to the Eucharist. And that's, so you have these typologies, these types in the Old Testament, and you have types of the Blessed Mother. Sure. You know, you, you have lots of types of Christ because, yeah. and, and so, and you have types of the church too. You know, just, just a quick note, Dr. Scott Hahn blew me away. Uh, we got a series of, uh, it was a course he taught at Steubenville. No, you don't need to go to Steubenville to go to take the course. I, I've got it on CD, and it's about 11 hours of teaching on typologies of Christ in the Old Testament. So if this interests you and you really want to understand the typologies, Old. Typologies, yeah. Because I was taught that if you don't really understand the Old Testament, you'll miss so much of the New Testament. You will, you will, because the New Testament... The Old Testament is revealed in the New. There you go. But the New is concealed in the Old. So the two of them go together, and you can't reject either one. You have to have them both together. So the folks upstairs will never know this, but you can just tell them that I said that. You call 877-526-2151. The course is about a $35 course. I'll put it on an MP3 disc for you so you could hear it all on one disc. And um, uh, if you really want to study typologies, I don't think there's anybody better than Dr. Hahn. Yeah. So call 877-526-2151 and make the donation, $35, and I'll get that course that you would pay a couple thousand dollars to go to. Right, and just, just <laughs> tell them you want the, the Scott Hahn course on, on typology that Terry Old talked Testament. about on the radio. Old Testament. It's item number 5267. Okay. 50, I still remember it. Awesome. It's so, one of my favorite sets. Can 52, you tell? 5267. Yeah, no, it is. It's yeah. awesome. Dr. Hahn is so good, and he's so clear in his explanation. So the angels, you know, the the women are there and the angels say to them, do not be amazed. You see Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. Mark does something very interesting here. The angel, and of course it's what the angel said, but what is the angel telling us when he does this? Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. Well, the same name as it was written on the inscription on the cross is used by the angel Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Okay, so the angel uses the same name. Why? To make sure that we understand the one who rose is exactly the same one who died. Mm -hmm. 
Okay, and he's not dead anymore. So Mark is bearing witness explicitly to the crucified man and the resurrected man being one and the same. They're not two people. It's the same person. Jesus's body, which was treated so cruelly, now has immortal life. He has risen. So the glorious resurrection of Jesus is the central mystery of our faith. If Christ has not been raised, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. And he is the basis of our hope. Is Christ, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. If for this life only we have hoped in Christ, we are of all men the most pitied. Again, 1 Corinthians 15, that's 17 and 19. So Paul's telling us it's the resurrection of Christ that shows us that our faith is not in vain. And Jesus, he overcame sin death and pain and the power of the devil. That doesn't mean he eradicated pain or suffering. He fills it with his presence and he overcomes sin, but we have to cooperate with that. Again, God gave us salvation in baptism and he created us. He created us without asking us if we wanted to be created. And he, if we were baptized as infants, he, he had us, he allowed us to be baptized without asking. But that salvation has to be worked out as St. Paul said, in fear and trembling And he will not save us without our cooperation. We need to cooperate. So remember at the beginning of the gospel, the cry was repent. We need to give up the sins. And we're not here to live for a life in this world only. We're here to live in union with Christ so that we can get to heaven. So we want to give up sin and everything that leads us to sin. Remember the near occasion of sin? We need to give it all up in order to live in Christ and for Christ. We want to seek him and seek him only and seek to serve him. And Mary Danielle, our show before this one, Jesse and I talked about early Christianity and the four things that the early Christians did to affect the secular world. Mm-hmm. And you just named one of those, yeah. turning away from sin, living vice, a life of virtue, yeah. taking care of the poor. Uh, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Right. And so today is not unlike what we're running into 2,000 years ago, right. we're in a secular culture, Yep. and, and right Absolutely. now, who's influencing who? Yep. The world is influencing us more than we're influencing them, Right. just based on performance. Look what's going on in our culture. Exactly. But it can turn around. Absolutely, it can turn around, and it's not the first time no. that people have given in to the world and the ways That's of the right. world, right. and we do need to, we need to know that we have the power to not sin, and we have the power to be countercultural, and we right. need to be countercultural right. in everything that we do, and we need to stand strong against the ways of this world. You know, most of the movies that they come out with in Hollywood, and even the TV shows and the entertainments and the... They have no reference to God, do they? Well, wait a minute. Are we living a life as if God doesn't exist? Yep. How can that be? We're supposed to be Christians. We're supposed to be living in the presence of God, conscious of his presence every moment of every day. And everything we do is supposed to be in union with him and for him. You know, in baptism, we were baptized into the death of Christ. We were buried with Christ. That's why in the early church, not all, not all baptisms, it wasn't the only form of baptism, but many baptisms took place by full immersion, where you were totally immersed. Why? Because it represented your death to sin and to the world. And when we, when the Bible refers to the world, it's, turning about, it's talking about that element in the world that turned away from God and that is turned towards sin. 
So guess what? Mm-hmm. I hear that music, Terry. That, that what break happened? Time. Break Get time. Some coffee. <laughs> tea. Amen. We'll come back. And we'll be right back with more of Bible with the Barbers and looking at the resurrection account and what that means for us today. Thank you so much for joining us here today. Happy Easter yeah. Tuesday. Happy Easter Tuesday. The Lord is risen. Truly risen. Hallelujah. Amen. This is Terry Barber inviting you, all the men, to a men's conference June 15th at the Sacred Heart Chapel. This is going to be a day where we're going to talk about true masculinity. You know, there's a problem in the Catholic Church today. We have very few men who love the Catholic faith. And I know a lot of the wives that I'm listening to right now are saying, I want my husband to be on fire for the faith. Send him to the men's conference. Your son, send him to the men's conference by going to virginmostpowerfulradio.org or call 877-526-2151. That's June 15th. When your husband comes back from this conference or your son, they're going to have a different view about their Catholic faith because they're going to meet three men who love Jesus and his bride, the church, and are going to instill in them a love for Christ and his church, the Eucharist, Our Lady. Bring them to virginmostpowerfulradio.org. Sign up there or call 877-526-2151. Full sheen ahead. It is only because of your continued prayers and generous donations that Virgin Most Powerful Radio can broadcast live each weekday. We count on your spiritual and financial support because you understand the urgent need for Catholic programming that shares the gospel with clarity and charity, but without compromise. Please prayerfully consider becoming a monthly donor. You can set it up with the touch of a button on our website, catholicrc.org. Buying or selling your home or your business property? This is Terry Barber. Real Estate for Life underwrites The Terry and Jesse Show. And they can connect you to one of 900 pro-life real estate agents around the world. And when they receive their referral fee, they will give 80% of it to a pro-life organization. Wow! That's 80%. Realestateforlife.org, 877-LIFE-US1. This is Jesse Romero. You're listening to Bible with the Barbers on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Well, thank you, Jesse. Thank you so much. And uh, remember, we are an Easter people. St. Augustine tells us, Alleluia is our song. We're still celebrating Easter. We rejoice in the Lord. We rejoice in his resurrection. We rejoice in the new life he has won for us. So in baptism, we died with Christ. And now we are raised to life with him. And the Eucharist is the flesh and blood of our Lord. And he says this in John 6, he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. So if we have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above and not on the things of this earth. St. Paul tells us in the letter to the Colossians 3, 1 and 2. 
we are supposed to have our focus on heaven. Mm. Now that doesn't mean we don't, we, we pretend like we don't live this life in this world or we don't have troubles or we don't have struggles or no, we live a real life in this world, but we remember that Christ is with us. He gives us the courage and the strength that we need. And he gives us all the grace that we need to live a life fully in union with him. And that's what we're called to do. Amen. So it, rising with Christ through grace means that just as Jesus Christ through his resurrection began a new immortal and heavenly life. So we must begin a new life according to the spirit once and for all renouncing sin and everything that leads to sin. Loving only God and everything that leads to God. St. Pius X Catechism, number 77. So the, the, the women Jesus has been raised, uh, they're supposed to go and tell Peter, go and tell his disciples and Peter, and Peter is signaled out in that. They, 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 um, when the angel tells him, he says, go and tell his disciples and Peter that they should go to Galilee. And Peter signaled out because Peter was made the head of the church by Jesus Christ. That was, Jesus did that. It wasn't us who did that. That was our Lord who did that. And it's interesting that Peter's name is always appears first in the list of the apostles. And, and again, he is signaled out here that number one, Jesus forgives our sins. Peter denied our Lord in the midst of the passion. He was afraid, but our Lord forgives that. There's no sin that God can't forgive if we're willing to turn to him. The only thing if we won't ask, he won't forgive because he needs us to cooperate with his grace. So as they're going, um, now St. Mark, um, excuse me, St. Mark verse nine, we have that Mark relates that Jesus appeared to Mary Magdalene first on the day of resurrection. So the first public appearance of Jesus is to Mary Magdalene. Okay. Um, But, we all we know from tradition that he appeared to his mother first, but that's not in the scriptures. Why? And it's beautiful, a priest mentioned in his homily yeah. for for this week that Our Lady's life with our Lord was hidden. She she wasn't put forth as someone um, important and someone to be you know oh my gosh aren't you wonderful aren't you look what God did and I you know it's no she's always giving the glory to God and everything that God did in her she ponders all these things and treasures them in her heart but you know what she doesn't tell people about them. And this is, you know, so oftentimes in our world, Father mentioned that um, every time we have some kind of spiritual experience, we, oh, I, we got to tell everybody about it. No, actually, we can lose the grace of that experience by doing that. We need to keep things hidden in our heart, and we need to find a good spiritual director, a good priest or confessor that we can share things with. Anything, anytime we think we've had a spiritual experience with the Lord, we need to verify that with, an, with a, a representative of the church. And so you find a good priest or confessor. We have some here in Southern California. We have the, um, is it the Oblates of the Virgin Mary at St. Peter Chanel's in mm-hmm. Hawaiian Gardens? That's and right. We, the, you know, other good Norbertines. priests, the Norbertines in, in Orange County. And they give good spiritual direction. And not, not all priests are real trained to give good spiritual direction, but there's good confessors. So, you know, find a good priest to go to confession to. But don't put your trust in any, what you think, you know, private revelation that you have from God. That needs to be verified by the church. So... Mary Magdalene, Mark tells us that Jesus appeared to her first. So the first public appearance is to Mary Magdalene. And and what does he take? He chooses the weak, right? Mm. A repentant sinner and a woman. That's right. And she's the one who goes and tells the apostles. And then after this, he appears in another form to two of them as they're walking into the country. Now, he doesn't give us the details. Again, Mark 
Let's condense everything, make it simple. But if you want the details of that apparition, go to Luke 24, 13 through 35. And you all remember the story of the road to Emmaus. That's what he's referring to there. The two of them were going. So then afterwards, he appears to the 11 as they sat at table. And he upbraided them for their unbelief and hardness of heart. Because when the women come and tell them, you know, first they're like, oh, women's stories. You know, women, they're always seeing apparitions. They're always mm-hmm. seeing angels. They're always coming up with this or that or the other thing. As like, ah, we can't trust the women. They, you know, they're too emotional. They're too irrational. Um, and they don't want to believe. And again, you know, th- there are those scholars who like to say, oh, well, this was just, um, they were expecting the resurrection. And because they were expecting it, they saw it and they heard him and they, and it was, um, some kind of a, an illusion. And it's like, they were? Read the gospel accounts. <laughs> no, they weren't expecting. As a matter of fact, the only ones who were expecting the resurrection were the scribes and the Pharisees. They went to Pilate and asked that a guard be set at the tomb mm-hmm. so that he couldn't rise from the dead. <laughs> like, you know, and again, it's funny because it's interesting how we fight God in our lives. You know, here they are. And they'll keep fighting him all the way. Even after when the apostles start preaching, they're going to fight. They're going to fight this new way because they don't want to accept the message that Jesus gave. So they're the ones who set the guard in order to prevent him from. And then when the guard, and this is not in Mark's gospel, but when the guard, because Mark doesn't give you all the details, but when the guard, and they, they witness the stone being rolled away by the angel and the tomb is already empty. Jesus's body is not in the tomb it, the, the, the stone isn't going to keep him in the tomb. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like, you know, in the pictures, you always see the stone rolled away and Jesus coming out of the tomb and the guards there. That's not what happened. The guards saw the angel roll the, t- the stone away and the tomb is already empty. Why? Well, here, when Jesus appears to the 11 in, in verses 14 and following of Mark's gospel, they had the doors locked. <laughs> he comes through the walls. The resurrected body isn't stopped by doors and walls and stone tombs. Mm-hmm. It, it can pass through material things because it's a new form of life that we've never experienced. So Jesus had already risen from the tomb and the guards see the angel. They see the angel. And remember, anyone who's seen an angel thinks they've seen God and they fall down as dead. It's, not, it, it, it's, a, it's a frightening thing, not in the sense of terrifying, oh, you know, but, but in the sense of this is so awesome. This is so filled with, this is so otherworldly. Mm-hmm. And the guards fall down as dead because of the light. The angel brings light, complete light. And because he reflects the light of God. And so Jesus has already risen and the guards see this. And in another gospel, if you read all the gospel accounts, they go off to the scribes and Pharisees and tell them what happened. And they get paid a large sum of money to lie about what happened. Mm-hmm. Oh, his disciples came and stole him. No, they didn't come and steal him. Nobody removed the stone. And when the stone was, rem- was moved back by an angel, his body was gone. My little comment on large sum of money, it just seems to me, you know, Judas got, what, 30, 30 pieces, pieces of, of silver. silver. That's not a large amount of money. But uh, bribery has been going on since then. And uh, <laughs> we, we, we pay people to shut up, you know. They don't yeah. say anything. I'll pay you $20,000. So it just seems like nothing new under the sun. Uh this has been going on for thousands of years. Yeah, and, and that's it. It's, you know, human nature hasn't changed. Nope. <laughs> it's just, 
men are still men, women are still women, human nature is still human nature, you know, the same old, same old. It, it, it's funny, the, the more things change, the more they stay the same, Scott yeah. Hahn used to yeah, say. I always said that, yeah. And it's an interesting, um, it's an interesting commentary. So we have then, Jesus, when he comes to see them in the upper room, and that's where they were, they were in the upper room, the room where the Last Supper had been held, that's where they're hiding out and they've got the doors locked. Jesus comes and he tells them to go and preach the gospel to the whole world. And he who believes will be, and is baptized will be saved, and he who does not believe will be condemned. And so he gives this mandate, and the mandate hasn't changed. It's still there. We're still supposed to preach the gospel to the whole world. Right. We're supposed to let every new generation know that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who became man, lived among us, suffered and died for us, freed us from the power of sin and death. And we don't have to be afraid of death anymore because there's a new life waiting for us. And that we can die to sin, and we have the power to do that through Christ. And so he says those who are baptized, and it's interesting, we know that this teaching of the church is that the first, we receive sanctifying grace, and that removes original sin from our soul, and we receive that in baptism. And the church has always taught that baptism is necessary for salvation. But has the church always taught and insisted that if you're not physically baptized, then you cannot be saved? Well, it's interesting here. Uh, the, the Catechism of Pius X in number 553, excuse me, the Catechism of St. Pius V, mm-hmm. that would have been the Catechism of the Council of Trent, in number 553, says that um, it, baptism is w- what removes the punishment due to our sins, the original sin and the punishment due to the sin, or any actual sins that we've committed if we're baptized not as infant but as adults. And then it impresses on the soul the mark of the Christians, and it makes us children of God, members of the church and heirs to heaven, and enable us to receive the other sacraments. But it goes on. While baptism is absolutely necessary for salvation, we can see from, these wor- from the words of our Lord, that's evident, but f- if it is physically impossible to receive the rite of baptism, it can be replaced by either martyrdom, which is called baptism of blood, or by a perfect act of love of God and contrition, together with at least the implicit desire to be baptized. This is called baptism of desire. And those are both mentioned in the Catechism of Pius V, numbers 567 and 568. So the church has always taught that if there is an instance where a person is seeking baptism, but they die before they receive that baptism, that implicit desire and their repentance of their sin and their love for God. And it was interesting because in the early church, there was an instance where there was an old man who died in the catechumenate Mm -hmm. and his bishop was worried, well, he wasn't baptized. So he wrote to the Pope and the Mm -hmm. Pope at the time said, be assured of the old man's salvation. Um, The good thief on the cross. He didn't have a chance to be baptized, and yet we believe that he is in heaven. Saint Dismas. He, he stole heaven. He stole heaven. And we're coming up against the break here. Yep. So thank you again for listening. If you want to make a donation or get those that, that MP3 of Scott Hahn's typology, 877-526-2151. And it's still Easter, so the Lord is risen. He is truly risen. Hallelujah. We'll be right back. This is Terry Barber inviting you 
all the men to a men's conference June 15th at the Sacred Heart Chapel. This is going to be a day where we're going to talk about true masculinity. You know, there's a problem in the Catholic Church today. We have very few men who love the Catholic faith. And I know a lot of the wives that I'm listening to right now are saying, I want my husband to be on fire for the faith. Send him to the men's conference. Your son, send him to the men's conference by going to virginmostpowerfulradio.org or call 877-526-2151. That's June 15th. When your husband comes back from this conference or your son, they're going to have a different view about their Catholic faith because they're going to meet three men who love Jesus and his bride, the church, and are going to instill in them a love for Christ and his church, the Eucharist, Our Lady. Bring them to virginmostpowerfulradio.org. Sign up there or call 877-526-2151. Full sheen ahead. It is only because of your continued prayers and generous donations that Virgin Most Powerful Radio can broadcast live each weekday. We count on your spiritual and financial support because you understand the urgent need for Catholic programming that shares the gospel with clarity and charity, but without compromise. Please prayerfully consider becoming a monthly donor. You can set it up with the touch of a button on our website, catholicrc.org. Buying or selling your home or your business property? This is Terry Barber. Real Estate for Life underwrites The Terry and Jesse Show. And they can connect you to one of 900 pro-life real estate agents around the world. And when they receive their referral fee... They will give 80% of it to a pro-life organization. Wow, that's 80%. Realestateforlife.org, 877-LIFE-US-1. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Well, welcome back to Bible with the Barbers, and thank you for joining us. We are an Easter people. Alleluia is our song. We're still celebrating Easter. We rejoice in the resurrection of the Lord, and we look forward to eternal life with God in heaven. And so we have, we were talking here about baptism and the fact that the church has always accepted that um, there's a thing called baptism of blood or baptism of desire. That if, the, if it's not possible for a person to receive sacramental baptism, St. Thomas put it this way, we are bound by the sacraments, but God is not. So if we have the possibility of receiving the sacraments and we refuse, that's us rejecting God's means of grace. But if someone has not the possibility of receiving the sacraments, they still have the possibility through the mediation and merits of Jesus Christ and his church to be saved. So we pray, we pray every day that everyone will have the opportunity to receive all the sacraments. But if they don't, we also pray that people will come to know the Lord Jesus and at least desire baptism and want to love the Lord. And maybe some people are shedding their blood for Christ and we don't even know it. In our world, you know, in the 20th century, there were at least 26 million Christian martyrs. All right. And in the 21st century, that martyrdom hasn't stopped, as we saw quite graphically illustrated for us over the Easter weekend. So we pray for all of those who are suffering persecution for their faith. Pray mightily for them, that they persevere in the faith and that those who have suffered for their faith have 
received injuries, that they might be able to forgive those who did these things. We pray for those who persecute the church. We're supposed to pray for the conversion of sinners. Now, some people say, well, what about infant baptism? It, it, it was there in the early church, and we know that. What's interesting is there were entire households being baptized in the Acts of the Apostles. But in addition to that, St. Paul says that baptism is the new circumcision. Well, in the old law, when, was, when were the little boys circumcised? Little boys were circumcised on the eighth day after their birth. <laughs> so if baptism is the new circumcision, then absolutely, yes, infants can be baptized. And St. Augustine had this to say. He said, the custom of our mother church of infant baptism is in no way to be rejected or considered unnecessary. On the contrary, it is to be believed on the ground that it is the tradition from the apostles. And that was St. Augustine. And St. Augustine died in 430, as the saying goes. So he lived in the um, 300s, late 300s and the early 400s. Then in, in addition to that, and this is something the new code of canon law stresses the need for infant baptism. And what it says is parents are obliged to see that their infants are baptized within the first few weeks, as soon as possible after birth. Indeed, even before their birth, they are to approach the parish priests to ask for the sacrament for their child and to be themselves duly prepared for it. So the baptism classes that are required in order to have your child, don't wait till your baby's born. If you're pregnant, expecting, go now to your parish priest and sign up for the baptism class. Get ready. Get everything in place. Remember when you choose godparents, you're supposed to choose somebody who's going to teach your children about the faith, who's going to support you in teaching your children about the faith. And if you were to renege on your duty to teach your children about the faith, that person is going to step forward and continue your child's education in the faith. So that's what your godparents are about. This is not a social thing. This is a real responsibility to pass the faith on. This is part of what we lay people do in passing on the faith. The lay people are supposed to sanctify the temporal order, the family, the workplace, the political arena, the marketplace. We are not supposed to be in the sanctuary. That's not the the realm of the sanctuary is the realm of the priest. And the priest is supposed to sanctify the sanctuary. So, you know, baptism is important and it's not to be taken lightly. God gave us this great grace, this great sacrament. Take advantage of it. And parents, prepare now if you're expecting a child. Prepare now for the baptism of your child. And especially the women out there who are in a crisis pregnancy or some kind of pregnancy that's having difficulty, prepare and be prepared that if anything happens, if, if for some reason God doesn't mean your child, and I know this is hard, but if God doesn't mean your child to live in this earth for a long time, that they would die soon after, have someone there to baptize your child when it's born. If anything is going wrong in labor, ask somebody to baptize that baby. If that baby's in any kind of stress, ask him. To, and by the way, if your baby is in danger of dying, you should ask for the sacrament of confirmation as well as baptism. And you don't need, the priest doesn't need anyone, the priest who baptizes, only a priest can confirm. But if there's danger of death, uh, any priest can confirm and he doesn't need the permission. He doesn't need any special permission. It's automatically granted because the church believes that it's, it's very important. Confirmation and baptism, you know, baptism, confirmation. So first baptism and then confirmation. But, and I hope that's not happening to anyone, but I know that those things happen. Little babies do die. That's the reality. God didn't make sin. God didn't make death. God didn't make suffering. Don't blame it on God. We turned away from God by our sins. And every time we sin personally, we turn away from God. 
And that's what brought evil into the world. That's what brought death and suffering into the world. And so it wasn't God who made death and made little children to die. He didn't. He made us all for heaven. And there wasn't going to be any death. We were just going to go to heaven once we had passed you know, the, the, the time of proving. We had given ourselves to the Lord fully. Then we were going to go to heaven. But man sinned. And because he sinned, death came into the world. So don't blame it on God. God is love. God is love. God is love. And he loves us. And he loves us so much. He loves us so much that he gave his only begotten son. But his son didn't stay dead. He didn't just die on the cross. Remember that. Death isn't the end of the story. Don't forget the resurrection. Read the accounts of the resurrection and meditate on them. And so we're supposed to believe and be baptized. And we're supposed to try and draw others to the faith, the fullness of the faith. You don't find someone, you know, if you find someone in, in, on the street and they're hungry and they're cold and they have nothing to eat, and you're not supposed to just say, oh, you know, be warm and well-fed and have a good day, as St. James says in his epistle. Don't just say to him, oh, be warm and well-fed. Take care of his bodily needs. And so too his spiritual needs. When we find someone who doesn't have the faith, we're supposed to witness the faith to them. Know your faith so that you can witness to it. That's what our Lord is telling us. We have to go out. And spread the gospel. We have to spread the good news that Jesus didn't stay dead. He really rose. Yes, he really died. It wasn't make-believe. It wasn't fake. It wasn't a show. He really died, but he really rose from the dead. So we go forth in joy. And if we don't feel the joy, just ask the Lord to help you. Lord, help me to share the joy. And there may be something in my life that I've done to, to shut off the joy of the Lord. My sins. Maybe I'm clinging to some sin that I don't want to give up then ask the Lord for the strength to do that. And then we will know the joy of the Lord. And so the Lord Jesus, he stayed with the apostles for 40 days. Now, again, Mark's gospel, you don't get all the details. So you have, you know, Jesus appearing to his apostles and telling him to go out and preach to the whole world and the signs that will accompany those who believe. They will cast out demons in my name. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents and they will drink deadly things and it won't be hurt. And if they lay hands on the sick, they will recover. Miracles still happen. God still works miracles in answer to the prayers of his people. And there are people who do have the gift of healing in the church through when, and and they pray over people and the Lord, it is the Lord who gives the healing. The people are his instruments. So don't get stuck on the instrument. Pray for those people that God has raised up to do these things, you know, and, and, but God still does all these things through his people and through his church. And then right away in verse 19, so then the Lord Jesus, after he spoke to them, was taken up in heaven. You would think, oh, well, according to Mark, it seems like that the day of resurrection is the day of the ascension. So (laughs) how do we know? Well, we know from, again, the fourfold gospel. It's a picture with four aspects to it, okay? But it's all one gospel. And so we have to read all four of them to get the full picture. It's like looking at a diamond. You don't just look at one facet of the diamond. You miss the beauty of the whole. So we have to get all four Gospels to realize that it was over the course of 40 days that Jesus appeared to his apostles. And it wasn't until 40 days after Easter that he, that he ascended into heaven. That's why, by the way, the ascension is 40 days after Easter, which is a Thursday, always a Thursday, because Easter is always a Sunday. So 40 days after Easter is the Ascension. And the Ascension is still celebrated on a Thursday. It's been transferred to the Sunday because so few people were observing the Holy Day of Obligation. And so the the bishops were given permission to transfer it to the following Sunday. So it 
it's Ascension Thursday is Ascension Thursday. It's 40 days after Easter, and that's the day our Lord ascended. And he's taken up into heaven and seats at the right hand of God the Father. And what were the apostles supposed to do then? They were supposed to go forth and preach everywhere. And while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by the signs that attended it. And you know, those signs still attend the message. And the greatest sign is when people are given the ability to rise out of a life of sin. Sin is death. Sin is spiritual death. And the grace of God gives us the ability to rise out of the life of spiritual death. It gives us the ability to rise above. And sometimes God leaves us with our weaknesses. And that's to keep us humble. You know, St. Paul had a thorn in the flesh, an angel of Satan to tempt him. And three times he begged the Lord to take it from him. And the Lord said, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. For in your weakness is my power brought to perfection. And so St. Paul said, I willingly embrace my weakness, for it is when I am weak that the power of Christ shines through me. So this is it. If, If we have, and we all have sins, okay, that doesn't mean we put ourselves in the near occasion of sin. We try and order our life so that we are not led into temptation. And we pray every day not to be led into temptation, And we go to confession on a regular basis so that we have the strength to stand against sin. That's one of the graces of the sacrament of confession, to give us the strength to stand against temptation. But if we fall, don't despair. And if we find ourselves beating ourselves up and just looking at ourselves when we fall, and, oh, I'm so miserable and I cannot do this and I'm no good, well, you know what? That's called pride, and that's not of God. That's of us or of the enemy. So we need to turn to the Lord in humility when we fall and just say, Lord, I'm weak. And I need your strength. Humble ourselves before the Lord. And the more we humble ourselves, the more he will raise us up in his grace to serve him and to be faithful. And this is what we want to be. Faithful witnesses of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, really became man, really lived among us, really suffered, really died, was really buried, but he really rose from the dead. He didn't stay dead. So we are still celebrating Easter. Easter isn't over. We have until Pentecost. We continue to say the Lord is risen. He is truly risen. Alleluia. We are an Easter people. Alleluia is our song. And if you don't feel the joy of the Lord, remember sometimes our emotions aren't capable of always feeling happy. We're human. We have a body. The emotions are part of the body. But can you see good in God and will to take delight in the good you see? St. Francis de Sales says that's the first movement of love for man. I see the good in you, Lord, and I will to take the light in the good that I see. And you know what? We can do that. So praise God. Thank you, God, for the resurrection. Thank you for listening and tuning into Bible with the Barbers. I will be doing Bible study this week at the chapel, 7 p.m. tonight, 1 o'clock Thursday afternoon. And I hope you join us again next week. And we'll still be celebrating Easter. This is Easter Day now for eight till, till Saturday. But we will still be celebrating Easter. Don't forget Mercy Sunday this Sunday. I hope you're praying the novena to find mercy. Join us again next week on Bible with the Barbers. Thank you very much. St. Faustina's Prayer for Priests O my Jesus, I beg thee on behalf of the whole Church, grant it love and the light of thy Spirit, and give power to the words of priests, so that hardened hearts might be brought to repentance and return to Thee, O Lord. Lord, give us holy priests, 
Thou thyself maintain them in holiness. O divine and great High Priest, may the power of thy mercy accompany them everywhere and protect them from the devil's traps and snares, which are continually being set for the souls of priests. May the power of thy mercy, O Lord, shatter and bring to naught all that might tarnish the sanctity of priests. For thou canst do all things. Amen. Virgin Most Powerful, pray for us. Virgin Most Powerful Radio, sharing the gospel with clarity and charity.